in the Navy, they're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning. Good morning. And to you online, good morning. And specifically today, I want to give you some attention uh, to those of you that are online. We just continue to get stories of people that are watching. And so uh, we get to minister to people physically here as you come in the doors, and we know that there's reasons that you're online, and sometimes uh, you're all over the country and sometimes even the world, but we want to let you know that we think of you, we appreciate you, you're a part of this team, but also reach out to us, give us your information, let us know how we can pray for you, and um, again, church, aren't we grateful for all those that are, are with us online, amen, amen. So um, I was told that there's a battle going on today, and it's in, a, in the desert, I think Phoenix, and uh, there's like, I guess, these um, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think uh, by your response and first service's response, most of you don't give a rip about the game, so that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be a winner and a loser, Right? And someone's going to hold this trophy called the Lombardi Trophy. That means you're the Super Bowl champs. And this is a physical battle. I mean, it's a really physical battle when you talk about football. But I want to let you know that there's another battle that's going on. And uh, even though this battle that we've talked about up to this point, will literally billions of dollars will be bet on that. Uh, billions of dollars will be spent on the commercials and all kinds of effort and resources. But this battle that I want to talk to you about is greater than the battle that we're going to see today. And it's not a physical battle. And it's nothing that we're going to see on TV. But it's a battle for our souls. It's a battle for our eternal souls. It's a battle where the losers go to hell and the winners go to heaven. And it sounds really cheesy to say it that way. But it is a battle. And the devil doesn't want me to talk about that. He wants us to lose. But I know this. This book says we give ourselves to God. We give ourselves to his son, Jesus Christ. We're winners. Amen? And it says this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So unlike the Super Bowl, and if you had the ability to, and I'm not promoting gambling, but if you knew who the winner was, you could just put it all on the line and go, yeah. But here's the reality. We know who wins the spiritual battle, the greatest battle ever for our souls, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that's why I love this series that we're going through, Anchored in Red. And if you're just joining us, we're taking a look at the book of John, the first six chapters. So we're on week five. And in the book of John, some of our Bibles, uh, the publishers have put Jesus' words, anytime Jesus speaks, in the letters of red. And so it's wise for us to grab a hold of and be anchored for this battle for our souls in the words of red. Amen? So we're going to continue that here today in John chapter 5. But before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for another day that was not promised to us. 
Thank you for every person that's been here today in this room and all those that are joining us online. God, you know specifically this topic of pain. You know our relational pain. You know our physical pain. You know our spiritual pain. And God, you know our emotional pain. And for today specifically, we we pray that we would find ourselves anchored to you instead of anchored to the pain. Help us draw from your word truths, not just for the lives of those that we read about, but for our lives. May we claim these truths for our lives today. God, where I am weak, you be strong. And we want to listen from you. I want to listen from you today. Thank you. In Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Well, let's post open our Bibles. I know most of you have it on your phone. Uh, if you don't have the Bible on your phone, there's an app called YouVersion. It's free. It's amazing. It's got all kinds of resources. But I also, as you know, am always going to have this in my hand as long as God allows me to, because I always want it to be a reminder that what we are hearing is from him, not me. Amen. And if I disagree with this, you always go with this. And I want to let you know that there's two bookcases back there with Bibles on them. And if you don't personally own a physical Bible, we at West Valley would love to give you this gift. So on your way out, grab that Bible. And I always suggest the book of John, which we happen to be in as a place to start. Amen. So here we go, John chapter 5, and we're going to jump right into today's story. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to where? He went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We don't actually know which one it was, but he went up there for a, a Jewish festival. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. How many years, church? 38. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I want to stop right there. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, the first point for today, write the word pain, P-A-I-N. And sometimes it's just even good just to write it and see it, even though none of us, I think, like pain. That's our first point. So the scene has been set. If I remind you of last week, um, Jesus went from Judea straight north to Galilee, and if you weren't here, we talked a lot about that. But the thing that God kind of impressed on my heart, and it's been fun to have this conversation throughout this week, is one of the new things that I saw was he had to. He had to. And we learned that he had to because Jesus is always going to do things out of conviction for people, not comfort for himself. And we asked, I asked that about us. Are we doing things out of conviction or are we doing it out of convenience? And so you take that mindset. Now Jesus finds them back into the hot spot. He's back in Jerusalem. We don't know which route he took. <laughs> but we know he's back in Jerusalem. And there's some festival going on. So there's a bunch of people in Jerusalem. The temple's filled. The temple outer gate. I mean, it's, it's a happening place. And yet, we see something interesting happen. Now let's think this through where Jesus probably should have been would be in the middle of the party. All that's going on with all the people, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what Jesus, that's where he should have been. 
but instead he was just outside at these pools. Now, I wish that you uh, have, and I know some of you have, would have had the experience that I had uh, being there. Like literally, I've been at this spot, uh, the pools that they're talking about outside of Jerusalem. And they're a lot bigger (laughs) than I imagined. And I remember the actual time that I was walking there, just outside of Jerusalem by these pools, that I went off by myself. I left the group and I just found myself meandering around. I don't know if I was supposed to, but I did. And I'm all in these, I see these colonnades that this is talking about. And it's just massive, actually. And I'll never forget just standing there and picturing all of these people that had issues of being blind, lame, paralyzed that this passage talks about. We don't know if it was hundreds or even thousands. But one of the interesting things, and I'm not going to get into all the details of this, is some of our Bible translations have the verse 4, but did you notice some of yours don't have verse 4? Like the NIV that I preach out of, it doesn't have verse 4 in there. And verse 4, uh, let me give you the, what it says, and it's not really, I'll just say this. It says, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the water. That's what verse 4 says, like in King James. And so that was kind of the, the superstition. That was the magic about these pools, was that an angel would come down and an angel would stir the water, and the person that could get in there first was healed. Okay? So that's why all these people that had these different physical pains or limitations would sit around this pool. Does that make sense to you? And, and so, again, when, when I'm there, I'm just thinking of all the pain that was represented. And I was overwhelmed by it. Like when I think about it now, I I literally was overwhelmed that Jesus would choose to walk into this scene instead of the scene where everyone's celebrating. I I had the privilege of um, taking our teenagers uh, to camp this weekend. Uh, I smile because you know that right now uh, we're looking for just the right person um, to lead our teenagers. And so until then, um, I'm doing that along with our amazing volunteer leaders. And so a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity, uh, I was told about winter camp up at Angeles Crest, and literally, I gave two weeks notice (laughs) to parents and teens. So 10 of them said yes. So we we took 10 kids up to um, Andrews Christ Christian Camp. And so that's where I was uh, Friday night and Saturday until uh, I left last night. Now, <laughs> you're like, where are they at? Don't worry. We have good volunteers up there. And one of those volunteers actually was wonderful because I, uh, I said, hey, I need to come back to preach. And so would you drive up the mountain on Saturday and spend the night with the boys? And so isn't that awesome? And the reason I'm bringing this up is because... These volunteers um, all have these careers, they all have their lives, and yet they chose to be up on a mountain with almost 200 teenagers, 12 to 18 years old. And I was driving down the hill, and I was so grateful 
that this one gentleman was willing to go up there for the night and do this. Actually, in this case, married and has kids, and he, 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 he left. He left convenience for conviction. Does that make sense to you? And the two female sponsors, I mean, it's cold up there, you guys. It was 31 degrees when I left. I hate cold. I don't know how you guys are. Like, give me a golf club in Palm Springs in 120 degrees. I'll do it, and I'll love it. Cold, I hate it. And so we're up there, and these kids are playing football out and that stuff. They're playing, uh, they're, they're doing axe throwing. Now, some of you are concerned. No, they didn't pull that out of their luggage. It's actually an event that Andrews Crest does for the kids. You know, they're doing zip lining. Our poor volunteer, the two ladies, they came back and their faces were red and I thought there was icicles hanging from their eyebrows. I mean, it was so cold, you know. We're playing in snow and we're just having a good time. But I'll never forget sitting in the room with all the leaders for these almost 200 kids. There's probably about 40 of us. And I just looked around that room because it's kind of unique. You know, they're all youth pastors and, and volunteers and then this guy, right? And I'm just like, I was overwhelmed with gratitude for just these random people from A to Z that are willing to leave the convenience of their homes and go hang out with a bunch of teenagers. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something. And I'm not speaking of just our, teen, our 10 teens. I'm not, you know, some of your parents are in here like, what did they tell you, you know? But you know, it's awesome. They have all this fun stuff and they have sessions and speakers and worship and you got 200 kids worshiping and right when that first song starts and you see about 20 or 30 of them rush to the stage and they're just worshiping. That does, that's, some, that's, that's good for your heart. I'm gonna tell you and some of you parents are in here, I was blown away. Some of the kids at our church that I never thought sing, the boys especially, were singing, were worshiping. And what really blew me away, the two boys from our group that were sitting right next to me, neither of them were my son. He was, you know, far away from dad as possible, taking notes. Now, what does that do for your heart to hear that teenage boys were taking notes from a speaker talking about Jesus? And that's all the good, but you know what also broke my heart? I mean, that encouraged my heart. What broke my heart, just the 30 hours I was up there, the amount of stories of pain that I heard from these kids. Unbelievable. Like these kids that don't even know me, and I'm not talking from our group, just random kids, because you know, I'm a dork and I'm running around being silly with them and all of a sudden you find yourself in a conversation by a foosball table or with an ax in your hand. <laughs> and, and, and these kids start sharing their struggles and their pain. And so we need to keep, I mean, all of us, all of us have it, amen? When we talk about pain, we're talking about spiritual pain, physical pain, relational pain, right? Emotional. We all have it. But our teenagers, wow, this has been a great season for me to learn again. And what's amazing about our teenagers is, you know, we've all had pain, like I said, but they've got this social media pain that we didn't have growing up. That takes things to a whole nother level. I learned something. I can't say it, but I learned some stuff from kids that started stuff at ages six and seven. 
that I'm like, what? It's social media. And then I want to tell you, they bring their own pain on, just like we bring our own pain. And, and here's this, and this isn't a guilt thing for us as parents. This is just an awareness. One of the conversations I had with one of the kids, their pain came from just the home in which they live in. Right? Like some of those kids up there, they'd rather just live up there and not have to come back to the home. Why do I share all that? Because this is, this is, 2000, this is 2023 of what we've just read. You know, our youth leaders, they left convenience to go because of conviction. And thank you for them, amen? But also, they went to a place of pain. And that's what Jesus is doing, right? And, and here's, I'm sorry if we have young ears and parents, you could apologize for Pastor Rob, which you probably have to do on a weekly basis. But um, I only use this word in relationship with the word pain, and it's pain sucks. I can't ever think of another word about pain. Pain just sucks. Relational pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain. It, it does, doesn't it, church? It's like all-consuming. It's like a vacuum cleaner that gets stuck to our soul and just sucks everything out. And, and what I could do on an easy level is, you know, physical pain is, um, can I just say men, and actually ladies, kidney stones, yeah? <laughs> if you've ever had a kidney stone, you want to stay away from it, but if you've ever had one, it's pain like no other. And ladies, I'm apologizing because I don't know what birthing pain is like. I will never know that, okay? So when one of the joke, but it's not a joke, we should never compare pains, right? Pain is pain. But for me, the kidney. And Kaiser, as beautiful as they are in times for me, they've also been not so beautiful. And this was a moment where they kept sending me home with this kidney stone. And one time I was just in so much pain. I'm in the emergency room. It's packed. They put me out in the hallway in a gurney. And I just said, morphine. Now, don't judge me as a pastor. I'm just telling you, I knew the situation. I knew what I needed. Morphine, okay? And, 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 and eventually they got it to me, but I was in this hallway for five to six hours, just curled up in pain. I don't want to get into all the details of everything, but pain sucks. And some of us understand this at a relational level, and some of us really understand it at a spiritual level, right? I, um, I met with a guy, I haven't seen him for a few years, and uh, he's just one of those kind of guys where I don't have to meet with him much, but I just trust him. And so he, was, he happened to be in town, and he said uh, last Sunday, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch. I kid you not, there wasn't even a high rob. We sat down, and it was, God hates me. <laughs> Literally, God hates me. And I was like, okay. He goes, tell me why God hates me. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, God hates me. And then he just starts unpackaging his life over this last year. And I will tell you, just one thing after another, literally at high levels of crazy, he's been hit with. And so he again asked me, why does God hate me? Now here's the reality. I don't know all the answers to everything that's happened in his situation. I do know this, a lot that he has accredited God to bringing into his life, God had nothing to do with. It just had to do with Maybe some choices he made, or he was close to others that made choices. Are you with me? 
Okay, so you've heard me preach that before. But here's the reality. I was able to look at my brother and he's just, kind of, I said, look at me. I said, one thing I know for sure is God does not hate you. And I wanna say the same thing to you. Those of you that are dealing with pain at whatever level of physical or spiritual or emotional or relational, God does not hate you. God is not testing you. God is not putting you through this to go, well, I'll just see if she really loves me. I'll just see if he really loves me. Are you with me, church? Now, I understand why we feel that. I understand why we grab a hold of that because that's how we think, but the Bible says our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And I want to tell you, God does not hate you. And why I can say that is because this book speaks everything against that. For God so loved the world that we read last week or two weeks ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Where does God hate you in that? Like even despite our silliness and our craziness at times, God still loves us despite us. And that I grab a hold of. That ought to be my identity and that ought to be your identity. Amen? That can't be explained and that's why it's called grace. A free gift that we do not what? Deserve. So here we are back in this story. And we see that Jesus walks in to this area with all of this pain around these pools. And then, like I said, we fast forward to today. What do we do? Well, we turn to the Lord. Psalms 34, 18. I want to give you some passages that are going to be great for you. And by the way, you might actually go to a Super Bowl party today, the one here upstairs at 3 o'clock or somewhere else. And you don't give a rip about the game. Maybe all you care about is the snacks. Amen. Maybe all you care about is the commercials. Amen. But God may have you sitting next to somebody that's struggling. Here's some verses for that person or for you. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close to the what? The Lord is close to who? Aren't brokenhearted people also people that are filled with pain? The Lord is close to them. He's not pushing away. He's not pushing them away and say, go figure it out and then come back. He's not saying, I hate you that are brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in what? Those who are crushed in what? Have you ever been crushed in spirit? Are you sitting here right now feeling crushed in spirit? Listen, I may not be able to give you a shot, but God can. God wants to come alongside those that are broken hearted. Philippians chapter four, six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything means anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to who? God and the peace and the peace. Who doesn't want peace? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Like peace doesn't make sense that you have this calm in your heart during the midst of the storm. He doesn't take away the storm. He gives you peace in the storm. Most of the time. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? 
It's going to guard your heart. And it's going to guard your mind. I need that. How about you? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are filled with pain. <laughs> okay, it says weary and burdened. And I will give you what? I'll give you rest. One of the things that doesn't happen up at Andrews Christ Christian Camp is rest. <laughs> Especially at a teenage camp. Uh, I love the camp. I'm on the board. Uh, camp is doing really well. It has all sorts of different uh, camps. We have a men's camp coming up here in April. I'd love for you to attend that. There's about 200 men that go to that. But um, <laughs> the, the activities got down at 11 o'clock at night. And so we make our way, way back into the room. And um, I thought girls talked a lot. Sorry. Kid, these boys that I never even heard them talk, they, I don't know if they drank monster drinks, if they got a hold of coffee. By the way, I want to apologize to one of the moms publicly. Uh, your daughter in sixth grade, uh, unbeknownst to me, drank two cups of coffee for the first time in her life. I think she's still bouncing off the walls. Um, but um, these boys, they just talk, talk, talk. And let me just tell you, what they were talking about was inappropriate. And at one point, I'm just laying there going, well, no, you just got to be there and just, you know. And at one point, I didn't say, you guys do know that Pastor Rob is here, right? <laughs> the two worst ones were staff people. Um, but anyway, staff kids. Uh, sorry, Amy and, well, myself. But anyways. Um, but I love, I love that they were able to do that. But I'm telling you, at Andrew Christ, you're sleeping Amy's here, right? Amy, you know this. You sleep on mats that are about this thick, and I might be exaggerating. And then it's plywood. And it's like, I don't think I slept much. You know, I remember 12 o'clock. And then I just remember waking up many times and then um, waking up in the morning, like, feeling like I was 100 years old. And, like, my neck's like this. And, you know. <laughs> Church, I think some of us, our hearts feel like that right now. And our hearts and our souls need some rest. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Psalms 46, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Like, that's, that's a big deal. The earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Still remember, no matter how big your pain is, God is your refuge and your strength. He doesn't hate you. Amen. There's that famous saying, God helps those who help themselves. Well, the truth is, if we read the scripture, that's not true in this statement. The statement that's true is God helps those who are incapable of helping themselves. Right? This guy, we don't know how long he was by that pool, but we know he struggled for 38 years. And God came alongside. And you know what the truth is? None of us are capable of saving ourselves. Like my silly illustration about morphine, that wears off really quick. <laughs> you know, what the world has to offer us is a Band-Aid. But what Jesus has to offer us is a healing. Amen? So let's continue reading this story. Are you ready? Uh, verse five. One who was there 
had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, and here it is, the first red letters, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else gets ahead of me. Then Jesus said, no, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, like boom. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was what? It was Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Like, are you crazy? This guy has just been healed. He couldn't walk and now he's walking. And the Jewish leaders, all they give a rip about is the law being broken rather than this man being healed. Church, we could fall into the same trap. We could fall into the same trap where we forget what's really important. Well, (laughs) verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. If you're taking notes, the second point for today's message is this. Big question. Jesus chooses not to go do the party and and the festivals and and what was going on in the temple area in Jerusalem, but he goes to this this pool of Bethsaida and and he sees this man. Now this, there wasn't like a big bin and some guy rolling it, all right, who's the winner today? And they pull it out and then, okay, you, for 38 years, Jesus, go talk to him. It was just Jesus, just walks in, he assesses the whole situation And for whatever reason, and it's called the grace of God, he looks at this man and he engages with this man. This man, you know, Nicodemus, we read that a few uh, weeks ago. Nicodemus knew who Jesus was. He didn't know who Jesus was, but he knew he was a great teacher. He knew that he was doing miracles. This guy has no clue. Even after he was healed, he had no idea. And you know what? He didn't give a rip. He could walk now, right? Well, I'm saying he didn't give a rip. Maybe he did. But he's healed. But he's asked this question, and I've spent times preaching on this before and, and delved into this a lot. I'm not going to today, but doesn't it catch your eye? It catches mine every time. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Well, of course I want to get well. Well, Jesus knows our hearts and our thoughts. So obviously he asked this question because he was a little concerned. And the best way, and I'm not going to get into this a big time, but yes, we used to go down to Skid Row uh, every, uh, once a month, every Sunday. Uh, we'd bring a truckloads of food and, and clothes and blankets, and we'd just go set up tables. And, and um, I learned early on. And now you got to remember, this is probably 15 years ago, and times have changed. But I learned early on, oh, we're going to go, and we're going to love up on these people, and we're going to give them things that they need and this and that. And most of the time, they were really polite. And then we started getting to know their names and we knew where their tents were. But early on, it's like, oh, okay. So, so tell me your story. And they tell your story. I'm like, okay, so how can we get you? And I'd point to an apartment. How can we get you from here to the apartment? I kid you not. I kid you not. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10 easily. I don't want to leave the streets. 
I don't want any of the streets. Like, this is my family. This is where I'm comfortable. So my mind says, oh, you, poor you. You got to get, right? And, and, and so when I'm reading this, I kind of think the same thing. Like, do you want to get well? Well, maybe, maybe some of those people around that pool, that, that, that became their community. Maybe that's where they wanted to hang out. They'd, they'd rather sit in the pain of the known than be set free to the unknown. Does that make sense? And that's still true of a lot of people, whether it's homelessness or addiction. What I've heard from a lot of AA people over the years, it's like, well, it's, 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 it's more comfortable to know this pain of addiction than what I might have to fear without that getting me through. I'd rather be in prison than set free. So maybe that's why Jesus says, do you want to get well? And then the guy gives all these answers. And and look at it. Chapter one, we see the disciples. And and he says, what do you want? In chapter two with Mary, he says, why do you involve me? In chapter three with Nicodemus, he says, you need to be born of water and and spirit. And and Nicodemus says, how can this be? All these questions are flowing. The woman last week, uh, Jesus says, uh, will you give me a drink? Back and forth, back and forth. But the engagement, the relationship, the one-on-one. And Jesus still wants to do the same thing with us today if you have got good questions great if you got hard questions great if you got angry questions that's okay if you got rejoicing statements Jesus just wants to engage with you amen he wants to go bat for you and now Jesus says um, get up pick up your mat walk if you're taking notes that's the third point today you go from the big question to the big ass See, Jesus asked this man to do something the man couldn't do. You catch that? He asked him to get up, <laughs> take his mat and walk. If I'm the guy, I'm like, do you really think I can do that? If I could, I wouldn't be laying here. So Jesus is asking him to do something he can't do. And fast forward today, Jesus is always asking us to do what we can't do so that we can rely on him and so that we don't get the credit, but he does. Let me give you a, a, a news flash, and it's not new to you. I don't know how to be a lead pastor. Does that bring comfort to you? I, I, and I am 100, it's scary how honest I am on that. I don't know how to be a lead pastor. I didn't, especially through a pandemic and the COVID, and I didn't know how to, there's a lot of things. I can't do what I'm doing but I'm doing it. And as long as I'm trusting in him, then you, we're okay, we're okay. But the moment where I figure out that I could do this, I got this, God, thank you for bringing us this far, get the heck out of here. Or better yet, get me the heck out of here. Are you with me? God may be asking you to do something you can't do, but he's not gonna abandon you. He's gonna help you. And this man went from not walking to walking. Amen? That is exciting stuff. That's life change stuff. Get up. Get up, he said. Jesus was the source of turning this man's will and giving him the strength and the healing him completely. Now, check this out. I never thought about this. He didn't put the man in the water where everybody was going, yes, if you could get in that water when it's stirring, then you're healed. Jesus could have gone, all right, when they, okay, the timing. All right, we got this. You ready, big guy? All right, right when that angel, and he's coming on, boom. Okay, let's go. 
Because then everyone would point their attention to what? The water. But Jesus is like, I don't need this pool. Everybody that's watching, hundreds of you, thousands of you, you watch this man. I'm going to say get up, and he's going to get up and walk. Don't you think that was a conversation around the pool? And then it leads us to the last thing, the big problem. Because it became a conversation around the pool, and it became a conversation amongst those Pharisees again. And they started whining and complaining and saying, Jesus, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was getting under their skin. You see, Sabbath was something God created, but then man came along and said, let's add 39 things you can't do on the Sabbath. So I actually looked those up for probably the first time in my life. Let me give you some of the examples of the things that you couldn't do on Sabbath. You couldn't carry, you couldn't burn, you couldn't extinguish, you couldn't finish, you couldn't cook, you couldn't wash, you can't plant, you can't select, you can't grind, you can't chain stitch. Like, I'm okay with everything, but man, if I couldn't chain stitch, then you couldn't unravel and you couldn't tan. (laughs) And we're so silly because we make all those rules today. And these guys whined for the next four chapters that Jesus was breaking the Sabbath instead of rejoicing in a man that went from being paralyzed to now walking. Church, let's wrap this up because there's a lot in here. What are some things that we could take from this? One, we're in a spiritual battle and we better be paying attention. Two, pain is real. Three, Jesus is the answer to that pain. Amen? It's always spiritual over physical. All five chapters we've seen, everyone emphasize the physical where Jesus is emphasizing the spiritual. And then I think five is really a great question for us. Do we want to get well or are we just comfortable in our own pain? And lastly, there's always those that are going to complain. Don't be one of them. Father, thank you. Help us to draw courage from this story. Help us to allow you to walk into our lives and to remove that pain. And God, my prayer would be physically. I've got friends that need physical healing. I, I feel like I need some physical healing. But God, as I continue to read your story, more important than physical and relational and emotional is that spiritual. So God, heal us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.